Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to another episode of Steelers Stat Geek. This is behind the Steel Curtain editor Dave Schofield coming at you again Thursday morning, second week of training camp. One more week and then we can talk about the upcoming preseason game. Here we go. The 2022 preseason is upon us. Some people don't like to say when the season starts, when they report, whatever. We'll just call it the preseason. This is the team that the Steelers have moving forward. Yes, they could add some other pieces. Yes, there could be some surprises. Yeah, the Steelers have seemed to add someone before the start of the regular season the last few years. We'll see how it all works out. But the team is still in Latrobe. They are practicing in pads. There are things to talk about. Let's get going. It's been an exciting uh, time here. I-, I will tell you this. Make sure you're checking out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. It-, it is your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. I know some people, uh, they read the website and they don't listen to the podcast. Or people listen to the podcast, don't check out the website. We've got stuff for you on the website. This is what I do every day. I, I will tell you, every day the Steelers have practice. One of the things that I do, and this it's funny because it's not actually quote-unquote writing, but it, it takes up a lot of time. But while the Steelers are practicing, I run a daily tracker of what's going on during training camp practice. And what it does is it's, is it's compiling information off of Twitter um, from – 
all these different Pittsburgh Steelers reporters at camp. It's basically trying to give a chronological timeline order of what's happening at training camp. If you don't want, aren't on social media or, or, or don't have it set up to where it's done chronologically and you want to follow what's happening at training camp, you can watch that tracker. I update it as often as I, as I add stuff to it throughout the time while the Steelers are practicing. If you're someone that uh, you don't need to do that right while the Steelers are practicing, but you want to have an idea of what happened with everything as it went on, check out that article in the evening, the next morning. All the stuff is there in order that tells you what's going on. It's the breakdown of seven shots. There's usually, sometimes depending on, on the reporters, some videos of various things. There's interviews with players before practice. There's some things I even add later in the evening that happens after practice. It's complete coverage of training camp. I take the time to do it because, honestly, it's popular. People are checking out that article, so therefore, I make sure it's done because I want to give you all what you want. Just like when it comes to stats, I do the same kind of thing. So make sure you're checking that out. And of course, make sure you're checking out all of our podcasts. There was a a Curtain Call podcast last night. I'll be honest with you. I'd love to say, oh, it was a great show, and they had this person on, or it was just Jeffrey and Shannon, or what they did. I don't know because I'm actually going to be away on Wednesday. I'm actually recording this podcast a little bit earlier than I normally do. And the only reason I'm even mentioning it is in case some news or various other things comes out since this is recording and when it runs on Thursday morning, you have an understanding of why it could be a little bit off. But I don't, that show hasn't happened yet, but I know that those guys are going to knock it out of the park. So make sure you check that out. That was the last podcast that ran before this one. And of course, make sure um, if you're checking this out, Oh, this podcast runs at like 5 a.m. Pittsburgh time on Thursday. If you're checking it out later, either coming up soon or already out is Thursday's What Yin's Talking About. And this week, this week, I'm telling you, I'm I'm fairly certain what Yin's are going to be talking about. It's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to talk about this week. So make sure you check out what what Yins is talking about. So what Yins talk about? Great podcast. Love those guys. Uh, they like to poke fun of us on the preview. So there, you can have it back. I'm pretty sure they're talking about the Steelers, or at least I hope. So with with that all set aside, what we're going to tackle today is actually an article that I have coming out uh, soon on the website. It's interesting. I actually wrote the article. I already wrote it. And then as I was writing it and getting the information, I'm like, I want to talk about this on StatGeek. And we were going to run the article early in the week. And then I talked to Jeff and he's like, you know, maybe we should hold it until the podcast. So uh, there's there's a chance it might be out later today. We'll even put the podcast in there. But what we're going to talk about for the first part of the show is the Pittsburgh Steelers run defense, which was historically bad in 2022. You're like, really? Is that kind of being overdramatic? Is it, was it really historically bad? Well, here's why it was historically bad. They were the worst in the NFL. Okay, does that make it historically bad? No, it doesn't make it historically bad. But they gave up more rushing yards than they had in any other season in franchise history. That's correct. They gave up 2,483 rushing yards in 2021. Wait, 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 Dave, hold on. Hold on, there was an extra game last year. Yeah, that didn't matter because the next low, the next highest one was more than 200 yards less. It was almost it, it was actually 290 yards less. But that was actually from a 12 game season. Wow. 
Yeah, that's 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 pretty bad. So the, the that was in 1954. But the Steelers have only given up more than 2,000 yards uh, in a season since uh, since the merger, um, or since or you could say since they went to 16 games in 1978. That only happened one other time, and it was in 1989 when they gave up 2,008 yards. But the other thing with that is the Steelers gave up 4.99 yards per attempt. That's the most in franchise history. That's the most in franchise history. The next most was in the, that 1957, sorry, 1954. I'm reading my numbers backwards that I already that I brought up because that was 4.7. See, that's where I got my seven mixed in there. Um, they gave up 4.7 yards per attempt in 1954, but that was the most yards per attempt and most yardage a Pittsburgh Steelers defense has ever given up. That's why we can say it was quote unquote historically bad. Now, when it comes to rushing touchdowns, not as much. It was 17 rushing touchdowns. That's average one a game because there were 17 games. They gave up more obviously in years ago, you know, back in the, in the forties in 1941, they gave up 22, but that was in 11 games. But you know, that, that that's back when, when teams ran the ball a whole lot more. And we're going to talk about the whole notion of, well, what about running the ball more and things of that nature. Now, when you talk about, about those, those yards per attempt, um, they, that didn't include the 30s and 40s. I think it goes up. I think it started in 1946 that that was actually uh, calculated there. But it's the most in Steelers history. So how much do they need to improve? They obviously need to improve. But I'm going to actually bring up the point of, yeah, they need to improve, but how do they need to improve? And how important is that improvement? Because believe it or not, it's not as big as what you think, or as some may think, I should say. Because you're like, oh, if the Steelers can get back up into the top five in rush defense, everything, they don't have to go top five in rush defense. They were last in the NFL last year and still made the postseason. Now, it wasn't good. I'm not going to make excuses and say that it's okay. It's not. It needs to be better. But you also got to think about what the Steelers should do to make it better. Because here's an interesting stat. I'm going to throw this out there. Last year, the Steelers were dead last against the run in the NFL. This is coming from a yardage standpoint. If you want to look at the yardage standpoint, where were they were in the, against the pass, they were ninth in the NFL. They were in the top 10. So the trade-off, some people say, is it really a trade-off? Should you be trading it off? No, you don't have to trade it off. But the Steelers were top 10 against the pass, dead last against the run. And it got them to a record of 9-7-1 and one and into the postseason. So then you look at it and you're like, well, well, what if you were dead last against the pass? Or what if you were best against the run? How about you compare those two things? How does it compare with the team that was the best against the run? Or how does that compare to the team that was last against the pass? Well, guess what? It was the same team. I'm going to compare it to the exact same team. The same team in the NFL was first against the run and last against the pass. That would be the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, they were number one against the run, but last against the pass. They were eight and nine, finished last in the AFC North, and did not make the postseason. Now, eight and nine coming in last in your division, think about that. That's not eight and nine and being last in the division is is different. The 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 only, which is by far 
the best record of the last place team in any division last year in the NFL at eight with eight wins. Uh, the next closest was the, the was the West in both the AFC and NFC that they had their fourth place team had seven wins. So when I say by far, it's only one. Oops. Um, but then the other last place teams you're talking about, four wins, four wins, three wins, five wins, three wins. Those are the other teams that came in last. Oh, sorry. One of them was actually three and a half because it was the Detroit Lions and they had that tie against the Steelers. But if you look about that, yes, Baltimore was the last in their division, but that division was better than than other divisions. I mean, if you look at it, that would have put them, let's see, third in the NFC East. It would have had them tied for second in the NFC North. Actually, they would have been ahead because they would have won the head-to-head matchup. Um, that would that that eight and nine would have had them third in the AFC South. It would have had them fourth in the NFC West. That's a good division. It would have had them, you know, third in most other divisions. And it was last there. You know, some of them, they would have even been second. So, yeah, so the, the difference was a, was a game and a half. But, my goodness, a game and a half the NFL, that's huge. So the question is, would you rather be great against the run and bad against the pass or great against the pass and bad against the run? That's what it all ultimately comes down to. And I'm saying in today's NFL – if you if you're going to have if you have to have the trade off, defend the pass. That's just me. What's better is to not have the trade off. You don't need to be that extreme. But I was looking at some of these numbers for this article, and and where it, it kind of blew my mind was this little trend that I saw, and that is this: the Steelers. Well, first of all, the Steelers had four games last year where they gave up 200 yards rushing or more. Four games. Four games. They gave up 278 against the Bears. They gave up, hold on, that was the pass defense. My fault. I was reading the pass when it's not 278 against the Bears. I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it. Thank you. 229 against the Lions. It was the next week. I was looking at the wrong column here on my paper. 229 against the Lions, 242 against the Vikings, 201 against the Titans, and a season-high 249 in Week 18 against the Ravens. Now, when you're thinking about those games in your mind, you're like, wait a second, the four worst games rushing, 200 yards or more, the Steelers won two of them, and they tied another one. Exactly. So even in those games where the Steelers gave up 200 yards rushing, they went 2-1-1. and In what you would say was their worst defensive performance, at least from a rushing standpoint. But if you look at the games like the Detroit Lions game, I'm, I'd have to go back and see and break it down. I wish I would have done it before beforehand. But did the Lions have over 200 yards before over team, overtime? That's one thing I'm not 100% sure about. But hold on. Let, let's check it out then real quick. Let's look at that fourth quarter of that game. And say, okay, not fourth quarter, following the fourth quarter, the overtime of that game. Let's look at the at, at, at the Lions uh, rushing statistics. Okay, there's a three yard game by DeAndre Deontay Swift. Sorry, DeAndre Swift. Um, then there's a no gain, so you got three yards. Then you get a sack, a punt. All right. Um, then quickly turn around from a Deontay Johnson fumble. Oh my goodness. Why are we reliving this? What am I thinking of? Then you've got another one yard by Swift. That's four. Then you've got minus two by Swift. So that's two. Then you've got eight by Swift. Uh, that's, that's 10. Um, then they, a missed field goal, come back, um, sack, 
punt, punt, or or sorry, sack, um, incomplete, incomplete punt, and then um, then a, a, a throw it around, lateral, bunch of stuff. So that was only ten rushing yards in in overtime. So that means that the Lions, yeah, they had over two hundred yards rushing uh, in 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 regulation. So that's just one of those things. Just thought I'd look at that real quick. But if you look at those four games, that's crazy that the Steelers had a winning record in games where the where their opponents rushed for over 200 yards. But also look at those. Look at the passing yards in those games. 77 passing yards with the against the Lions. All right. Um 216 against the Vikings. That was the most. That's the one they lost. All right. Um, 117 by the Tennessee Titans and 132 by the Ravens in week 18. So what they did was they kept those passing yards down and that's how they were able to win the, win those games. So it, it's just some crazy stuff looking at it that way. But then I wanted to turn around and say, well, part of the reason why the Steelers had so many rushing yards against them is that they faced some really good rushing teams in, in 2021. In fact, they, they, had, they had six games against the top six rushing teams. Now, they didn't face them all, but the reason they had six games is because they had two against the Ravens and two against the Browns. So here's the Steelers having to face – they didn't face the Eagles or the Colts, who were one and two last year. But they played the Ravens twice, who were third. They played the Browns twice, who were fourth. They played the they, they played, played the Titans, who was fifth, and the Bills, who were sixth. So they they played six of six games in the top six rushing teams, and they went six and zero. Oh. They went six and zero. Oh. And what's crazy about that? If you want to expand it, then you keep looking. All right, what about the other teams they faced? Oh, next is the Seattle Seattle Seahawks. They were eleventh in the league in rushing. Win. Then next is the Denver Broncos, 13th in rushing. Win. Then next is 14th, the Chicago Bears. Win. That's the Steelers' nine wins. So if you look at this, this is insane. If you look at the order of teams, the how they finished in rushing in the NFL last season, the of and just and just only look at the ones that the Steelers played, those top the those top seven teams of the nine wins that the Steelers had because they beat the the Ravens twice and the Browns twice, they're all the top teams. And to get a team that the Steelers played last year and they lost or tied, to get down to that, you have to go to the 16th best rushing team in the NFL, which was the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the only team in the top half of the NFL in rushing last year that the Steelers lost to, and they were the last team in the top half. So you look at the you know number sixteen Chiefs, number seventeen Vikings, number eighteen Packers, number nineteen Lions, um, number twenty one Chargers, number twenty three Bengals, and uh, where's the last one? Number twenty eight Raiders, who was the team that was actually above one, the one spot above the Steelers because they were twenty ninth. So if you look at these teams, when the Steelers faced good rushing teams, even though the Steelers were worst against the run in twenty twenty one. They won those games. They won those games. So maybe part of the problem was maybe the Steelers just didn't didn't hold the not the, the teams that rushed well. They still rushed well against the Steelers, but they held them to only rushing, and that's why the Steelers won. Then you look at the teams that didn't rush well. The Steelers probably let them rush too well, and therefore they lost. But if, if you look at it, when the Steelers played the Ravens twice, the rushing totals for the Ravens, the one game was 107 yards in Pittsburgh. And then you had 249 in Baltimore. Well, that one, well, the Ravens averaged 145.8. 
So in one of the two games, the Steelers held them under their average significantly for the year. Unfortunately, they gave them more than 100 yards more than their average in the other game. So then, then you look at the Browns. The Steelers did well against the Browns, um, against the run. They held them to 96 yards in week eight, and then they held them to 93 yards in week 17. Held them under 100 both times, and the Browns averaged 145-4. So they did well against the Browns. Then you look at Tennessee. That's when they, they, they rushed for 201 yards, which was 60 more than their average for the season. So they, they gave up more, but once again, they kind of stopped them through the air. The other thing that really helps with those air yards that you're going to find out here soon is when you take the yardages off for sacks. Then you look at Buffalo. Buffalo rushed for 117 yards against the Steelers, but they averaged 129.9, basically 130. So they held them under their average. Seattle, another game that the Steelers won. They let them rush for 144 when they averaged 122. So that's kind of where some of these numbers come in. But what I wanted to look at real quick is how important is it to be at the top of the league in rush defense? Because I don't know that it's as important in today's NFL. Here's why. Because if you look at the, uh, the 2021 season breakdown, here's how it comes when it comes to rushing. There were 14,492 plays in the NFL last year that were rushing plays. Didn't mean they started out as rushing. It was when it ultimately counted as a rush. If a quarterback scrambled and got, got positive yards, that's a running play. That's just, that's how it works. And of course, there's other plays in there like those little tap passes. Those are passes, not runs, although they're behind the line of scrimmage. It is what it is. That's the NFL today. But out of those 14,492 plays, it went for 62,694 yards. That was an average of 4.33 yards per attempt. There were 505 rushing touchdowns last year. This is all regular season. And 3,632 first downs from rushing plays. Okay, that's the rushing. Well, let's look at the passing. There were 18,712 passing attempts last year in the NFL for 132,800 yards. That is 7.10 yards per uh, pass attempt, 840 touchdowns, and 6,440 first downs. But there's something I didn't take into account there yet, so i got to do that here real quick. And that is sacks. Sacks count as a pass play, and they take yardage off of passing yards. So technically, there were more passing plays because teams dropped back to pass. The quarterback was sacked. There was 1,244 sacks last year in the NFL. So that means the total was just under 20,000 pass plays last year. It was 19,956 plays. That was 44 shy of of 20,000. When it comes to the yardage, you got to subtract off that yardage. There was 8,597 yards lost in sacks last year. So that brings the yardage down to 124,203 yards. That's the passing yards. Now, if you take those and divide those yards by the number of plays, that drops it from the 7.10 down to 6.22. That's all right. 6.22, still compare that to 4.33 of rushing. So now let's let's compare these things. If you just look at the number of passing plays versus rushing plays. I took out the no plays when there was penalties and stuff like that. So 57.9% of all plays of when you were comparing run versus pass, this doesn't have field goals or punts or anything like that. When you look at those plays of either run or pass, 57.9 were passing. Okay. Almost 60%. 
but 66.5% of the yardage came from passing. 62.4% of the touchdowns occurred while passing. And 63.9% of the first downs happened when they were passing. So my point is, even though they're just under 60% of the plays, it's well over, you know, it's well over 62, between 62 and 66% of offenses made up from passing. So my ultimate conclusion here is this. I want the Steelers to get better defending the run. I want them to get better. Who doesn't? But how? How are they going to get better? This is what I would say. I don't want them to change up their scheme in any way to where if you ask the question, hmm, will this leave us more vulnerable with the pass, that the answer would be yes. I don't want the Steelers to change anything with their defensive philosophy. It doesn't mean that they won't here or there and tweak a little bit, but I mean, as an overall rule, I don't want them to change anything that would negatively affect them defending the pass. That's me. That's my opinion. And here's why. I want them to get better stopping the run by players playing better. Not because they have to scheme something up that would that would possibly hurt their run scheme. I want the, the Steelers' run defense to be better because players are playing better. I think, you know, you get your defensive line back, you know, after, you know, two at Noalu Alu, you get Alu back, you, you bring in Larry O, things of that. Players playing better in the defensive line, step one. If they're playing better, then that's going to allow the second-level players, like a Miles Jack, like a Devin Bush, to play more to their strength and not have to shred as many blocks, sorry, shed as many blocks, and things of that nature. So that's what I want to see. I want to see those players playing better to defend the run while not sacrificing anything against the pass, which also includes rushing the passer. That's just me. All right, we went over a little bit over in the first half, but here in the second half, I'm going to answer a question. It's a defensive one again. We're going to be looking at, uh, at one Alex Highsmith one year later uh, with a question. So stick around. We'll be right back. We are back, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Let's dive into this. We don't have a lot of time left. This was a stat geek question I got this week. This is from Dave McLaughlin, and this is what he says. He says, last year with all the hype around Alex Highsmith, I asked you for a statistical comparison between Highsmith and Dupree's rookie years, and the numbers were interestingly close. I'm curious, how did year two compare for these two OLBs? And could you share some of Dupree's third-year stats and what we might expect from Highsmith this season? Great question. I love it. But guess what? I'm going to actually have to tweak it a little bit. And here's why. Here's why. Bud Dupree was a rookie in 2015. He had four sacks, 26 tackles, six quarterback hits, um, and a pass defended. Alex Highsmith, in his rookie year of 2020, he had an interception, a pass defended, two sacks, 
48 tackles, six quarterback hits. You know, same number of quarterback hits. 2016, Bud Dupree missed the first nine games of the season uh, with a groin injury. So that makes it really tough. I could try to prorate out his stuff. Here's what's crazy. He played in 16 games with five starts his rookie year. And the next year, 2016, he only appeared in seven games. I think he's played one snap his first game back, but that was a game. Um, and didn't start until the last four games of the season. So they really, they, they really eased him in. But then he played, I think, all but one or two snaps those final four games of the season. And got those starts. He had one pass defense, just like the year before. Had a forced fumble. Had four and a half sacks. A half sack more than his rookie year. And he had 24 combined tackles. And he had seven quarterback hits. So he was two less tackles, one more quarterback hit, another, an extra half a sack, added a forced fumble in less games. So if you want to prorate that out, you're like, wow, that was a really good second season, all the good stuff. Here's what I'm going to do in order to make this easier. I'm going to throw out his season number two. I am. It was actually, for the amount of time you played, it was really good. It really was. But he was healthy at the end of the year uh, when, when maybe other people weren't. And the reason we're just going to throw it out is because we just it, it just is so hard to compare. It really is. The other thing is, if we look at Dupree's third year and kind of look at it as like his second year, comparing that to Alex Highsmith, this was the year where during that season, Bud Dupree was 24 years old. Guess how old Alex Highsmith was in 2021? 24 years old. So by throwing that year out, you're looking at the same age. You're looking at them both having similar games played because Highsmith, he missed one game, so he was 16 games, 16 starts. Dupree, he played 15 games with 15 starts. He missed one game. So it's one less game, and you're going to find that these numbers are really, really interesting. All right, so Dupree, he didn't have anything from interceptions or anything. He had one pass defense in his third season of what I'm going to compare to Alex Highsmith's second season. Alex Highsmith had none. That is something this year I would really like to see Alex Highsmith get in on, and that is batting down passes. He has one in the regular season in his first two years. I would like to see that number come out. He didn't have any last year. Really would like to see that. So then we're going to look at Bud Dupree had, what do you have? He had one, no, he had no forced fumbles, but he had one fumble recovery. Alex Highsmith had no fumble recoveries, but he had a forced fumble. Okay. That's pretty good. Bud Dupree, six sacks in his third year. Alex Highsmith last year, six sacks. Same thing. Here we go. Very similar. Bud Dupree, 40 tackles, 12 were for loss, seven quarterback hits. Alex Highsmith, 74 tackles, 15 were for loss, and 15 quarterback hits. So right there, when you look at those numbers, now remember, he had he had one more game than Dupree. Sacks were the same. Fumble stuff was the same. He had almost twice as many tackles. When you talk about tackles for loss, he had he had more. He had 15 versus 12. And then quarterback hits, seven for Dupree versus 15 for Highsmith, that's double, more than double. And, I mean, even take away one for an extra game. Also, you got to remember that uh, Alex Highsmith, he also had a sack um, in the postseason, in the playoff game. So when you look at it, Highsmith is definitely getting in on more tackles, definitely getting in more, more tackles than Bud Dupree. Um, but part of that is going to be because they're probably trying to get away from T.J. Watt because T.J. Watt's now established with Bud Dupree. His third season, guess what that was? That was, I said that, that was 2017. So you're talking about T.J. Watt's rookie season. 
is is when that happened. So if that's what I'm doing, I'm comparing Bud Dupree's year three to Alex Highsmith's year two, since Bud Dupree lost most of his year two. And they were the same age. Now, let's look at Bud Dupree's next season to see what that goes with, with Alex Highsmith. Yeah, it wasn't. He played in 16 games, started 15. He had an interception for a touchdown, mind you, in 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 2018. Um, and he had three passes defensed and a forced fumble. So Bud Dupree, in in his quote-unquote fourth year, which I almost look at his third year because he missed so much of that one season, he, he started to see an increase in passes defensed. All right? The thing was, he actually took a step back in sacks. He only had 5.5. Didn't have very many more tackles, 42 versus 40. He had less tackles for lost. Went from 12 down to 8. But he almost doubled his quarterback hits up to 13. So I'm saying there, it wasn't until Bud Dupree's fifth year, which if we want to kind of compare that to Heisman's fourth, that he really took off where he had double-digit sacks and everything else. So if Alex... Highsmith comes out and has more sacks than he did last year and kind of has the same amount of tackles and the same amount of quarterback hits, but he, you know, he increases his sack some, maybe starts getting some passes defensed, then he's already going to be on a progression faster than what Bud Dupree was. So that's something to remember. So it doesn't, it, when, du, you know, Dupree had a little bit of a jump in, in his second season in the seven games and four starts that he had. But if we take those away and look at his third year being his full year as more of his second year, they were, they were similar again. But there wasn't a big jump for Dupree that next year. I'm hoping we can get a little bit more from Alex Highsmith in a jump-wise, mainly in a, if it comes to finishing off the, the, the sacks, you know, lots of quarterback hits and lots of times where T.J. Watt beat him there. But I'd also like to see – that's one thing I would like to see more from Alex Smith. I'd like to see some of those pass defense. I'd like to see him see if he can get his hands on the ball if he's not going to get to the quarterback. Because those plays, yes, they're not negative yardage, but, man, they just, boom, play's done. They got to go again from the same spot. Those are big plays there. So I hope that answers the question when it comes to Highsmith comparing him to Dupree. So if Highsmith shows any kind of significant improvement this year, you're going to be looking at him at being, you know, progressing faster than Dupree. If he basically kind of maintains and does about the same thing, that's what Bud Dupree did as well. So keep that in mind this year with Alex Highsmith. Ah, there we go. That's this week with, with Steeler Stat Geek. When I come at you next week, it's going to be talking about what to look for for the upcoming game. I will still take questions next week if anyone has one. After that, you know, it might be not until the preseason done before the regular season starts because we'll be looking at some of the stuff from the games. But STLR Superfan Dad is my Twitter handle. If you want to add on after that, the at gmail.com, that is my email. Reach out to me, ask me any kind of stats. Things like that coming up into the season. Love it. It's great. My nerds of steel are fantastic. I can rely on you to help me have stuff for the show. So training camp rolls on. Looking forward to it. Didn't even mention anything about the Chris Boswell extension. Great stuff. I'll throw it in here at the very end a little bit. I don't have the exact numbers for it. Um, based on reports, the um, you know, it was you got 20 years and another sorry, 20 years, <laughs> 20 million for another four years on top of what he was making last year. There was a report that eight million of that was a signing bonus. Depending on how the Steelers structure it, if he's getting paid the league minimum this year with this with that signing bonus, 
it, it, it could lower his cap hit about a half a billion dollars. Really, it's not about lowering the cap hit this year. It's about getting him signed. That's really what that was all about. When those numbers come out, I'll make sure I have an update at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. Thanks for joining me. And as I always finish these shows off with, thanks for geeking out with me. We'll see you next Thursday.